How are we doing? Well, that was pretty good. You guys sound actually like you're excited to be here today. All right. Well, now you don't. Now you sound like you're back to normal. Okay. First, I want to say how awesome it is that we have a puppy here today. I don't like my puppy, but this one I like for some reason. So I think that's really awesome. So if it wants to run around, uh, I'm totally okay with that. I'll enjoy the, the distraction. So I want to open up real quick. The, the last few weeks, we've been on a, a path that's been really exciting for me. Would you guys say that's agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think we've had great discussion, not only here on Sunday mornings, but we've had great discussions in our groups. And I've loved every minute of it. I've got to, to visit another group, and, my, and, and it was fantastic. And my group is always fantastic. I see all of you here. Uh, so we've had, this, we've had great discussion about John 8 and what the stuff that Jesus has been up to. And uh, that's, that's been good for me. So, But I do want to say about... Two months ago, probably, Spencer put on the calendar that I was supposed to preach, and that was actually last week. So the momentum we were carrying from that John chapter 8 discussion just totally derailed that, got pushed back a week. And if you were here, we had a panel discussion, and about five minutes into that panel discussion, I felt God tell me the message that you've had prepared for a month, I'm changing, we can't do it. Totally derail what we're doing. I have something else for you to do. And I proceeded to go home, and God just unloaded into my mind, and I wrote down four pages of notes, about four hours worth of material, and uh, and, and came up with a new message. Luckily, I've, I've narrowed that down to about two hours worth of preaching time, so you don't have to worry too much. Uh, and uh, and uh, I will say, though, it's been a process to get through this this week. Not only was it something I, you know, I don't preach every week, so I'm not the amazing Spider-Man like Spencer is and preach every week and come up with something new. It takes me a little bit longer. I'm newer, uh, and I've been pretty distracted this week by some things. Nothing bad, just, just distracted. And So I'm putting this together, and it's a little rough. I apologize, but that's me anyway. Um, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get through this together. Sound good? All right. Well, let me ask you a question. Actually, I'm going to ask a few. And don't raise your hand to answer these. I don't want anybody suddenly hating their neighbor. But how many of you remember this last presidential election? Right. How many of you, and definitely don't answer this one out loud, how many of you picked a candidate, stuck to your guns, and no one or anyone could say anything to you that would change your mind and your heels were dug in? Does that sound, sound about right? Now, this one you guys can answer if you want to. How many of you think that things got a little bit out of control? Yeah. How many of you think that things are still a little bit out of control and somewhere along the way we forgot how to act and behave as people? Not just the church, just as people in general, we forgot how to act and behave. Right? Uh, and, it's, and it's still, we're still there. We're still seeing it in the news every day. We, somewhere we lost our civility even from, even from eight years ago, we've lost something, and things were not so great then either politically. So um, don't worry, I'm not going with a political message. But I wanted to start there because I wanted to point out that somehow we've lost our way, things are broken, and there's a better way. Okay? Now, like I said before, we've been in John 8 for the past, I don't know, six to seven months, it seems like. 
but it's been wonderful. So we have to let that go, sadly. We have to move on. Otherwise, the season will be over and we'll never know what happened to Jesus and his friends by the end of, chapter John, or the, end of the book of John. So, so we have to move on. But I can't let it go quite yet. Jesus was up to something in John chapter 8, right? For those of you who weren't here, John chapter 8, just, it's where Jesus was woman, dealing with the woman caught in adultery. And he sent her away without condemning her. And he loved her, told her to sin no more. But the problem I had with John chapter 8 was, or that story was, we had to really look harder under the surface to see what was going on. It wasn't so simple as love your neighbor as you love yourself. Makes sense, right? There was a little more happening here. There was a little more to the story, and we had to dig under the surface. So what we saw was Jesus treating a woman like a woman wasn't normally treated in the first century. We saw Jesus being countercultural and bucking the system. Jesus was changing what was going on in the first century. And specifically today, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus was up to something bigger than what we're used to talking about or used to seeing. Jesus was elevating people's status. He was inviting them into a new way of living and a new way of behaving that was desperately needed then and is desperately needed right now. It's a system where there's no eye for an eye. There's no one believing in the myth of redemptive violence and a system where we see people as equals. Okay, having said that, I'm done talking about John chapter 8, maybe. But if you would with me, go to John chapter 12. It'll be up on the screen, or you can follow along in your own Bible. I know it's a big jump, but we got to catch up. All right, so if, you, if you're there, this is Jesus hanging out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Okay. And if you ask me, this is a very odd passage. So I guess naturally I was attracted to it. Um, ready? Okay, so John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who Jesus raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray Jesus, said, why, would this, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he was used to helping himself to what he put in. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. Now, there's a lot going on here. I'm going to pray real quick. Part of that's just for me so I can settle down a little bit. God, I, I pray for your presence here today. I pray that what I have to say um, is the way you want it said, and people hear your heart today and hear what you have given to me. So I just pray that hearts are open. I pray that my heart is open to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay. This is a very odd passage to me, and I'll tell you why. Number one, 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You would think that that would get more press in this section, but instead it gets a footnote. That's odd. And then we have Mary anointing Jesus' feet with her hair. So I just picture this woman down on the floor, hair in front of her face, oil in it, and I don't know what you think, but that sounds creepy to me. Like, I picture a horror movie with a woman, just that, that picture just creeps me out just a little bit. I don't know what you think, but that's where I am. So, and then we have, the only part of this that makes sense to me is the part about Judas. You know, we know he's a thief. We know he's going to betray Jesus. It just makes sense that he's going to think about his own pocketbook right out of the gate. So, I have to deal with this passage, what, kind of what we did with John chapter 8, with the woman caught in adultery, and try to figure out what else is going on here. What's underneath the surface that we don't see that we're going to have to dig for. And honestly, I think that's a way that we're going to really need to approach Scripture as a people. We need to see what's going on under the surface, not just what is surface level. So, what do we know about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to begin with? I'll give away this part. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are family. Brother and sister. Uh, we also know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but um, they, they are family, and they live together. But from that passage, there's not a whole lot else we know about the three of them. You know, we know Mary, Mar- or Martha was cooking. Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with, her, with oil in her hair, and, and, and then, you know, Judas was upset about it. So, luckily, we have this guy named Luke, who is a historian, and he wrote one of the books of the Bible. And I know Luke was a doctor, too, but I don't care about that. I'm just happy that he was a historian, and he wrote one of the Gospels for us, so we get more details in there than we do other places. So, I'm going to read another passage real quick. This is still about Mary and Martha and Jesus, but it's from Luke, and it's in Luke chapter 10, and it'll probably be up on the screen, too. It says... Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, let's unpack this just a little bit, because this is going to give us an idea of what's going on in John chapter 12, what's going on under the surface that Jesus wants us to be looking for. First thing, consider the context. We were in a first century patriarchal society. Men ruled the day. Politely said, women do not, okay? We're in a system where women don't even get to go to school and be educated, okay? Women definitely got the short end of the stick in this society. But we're introduced by a historian to Martha, okay? And what Luke tells us is that, we're, that this is Martha's house, and he introduced it as Martha's house. Now, that doesn't happen, okay? Especially not when her brother lives there, Lazarus. It would have been known as Lazarus's house, would have been identified that way, Martha would have got about this much press in the story if she was mentioned at all. Okay, consider Peter, the leader of the disciples. We know he was married, but who knows what his wife's name was? We don't. Not even, not even other historical texts tell us what Peter's wife's name is. 
just isn't there. So that's step one. Then we see Mary at Jesus' feet again, okay? This time she's listening to his teaching, and that really is upsetting Martha, right? Martha's like, bro, we have work to do, okay? She even goes to Jesus and says, dude, this is, you see what's going on here? She's sitting at your feet listening to you teaching, and she should be helping me. And Jesus doesn't seem to have an issue with it. In fact, he's kind of happy about it. But what I want to point out to you that something that would be normal in a situation if a, a, a first century rabbi or first century Jew was reading this, what they would see under the surface that we do not is when the text tells us that she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening. That's rabbi speak for a disciple or a student, okay? So we got two things right out of the gate going on here that are countercultural. Jesus is eating in a house that is a woman's house, okay? It's not okay in first century society. It just isn't. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be okay for me to go to a single woman's house and have dinner with her, all right? First, my wife's shaking her head like, nope, it sure wouldn't. But it would, that, that just isn't, doesn't happen, right? And then second, we have a woman becoming a disciple in a first century society where men rule the day. That doesn't happen, and that's happening. Something bigger is going on here than what we see in the text at surface level. So what does Jesus say about this? Mary's upset, or Martha's upset, and complains. And Jesus' response? Martha, I know you're upset, but Mary has chosen the good portion. Now, that's not exactly Westerner speak either, but basically what Jesus is saying is, she chose the best thing. She chose the right thing. She chose to be my disciple. Not only is that beautiful in itself that someone chose to be Jesus' disciple, it's a woman, and that doesn't happen in this society at this time. It just doesn't happen. So, back to John chapter 12. Suddenly, this passage doesn't seem so odd to me. still don't like the oil in the hair part, but it still doesn't seem, so, it doesn't seem so odd to me anymore. Martha's house, I now understand that that, you know, Jesus eating there is just part of Jesus being Jesus, saying, I'm going to take the cultural norms and I'm going to flip them upside down, right? Mary at Jesus' feet, I now understand Mary is a disciple of Jesus, serving Jesus, okay? And then there's still Judas. But what I see at the very end, when Jesus is talking again, Jesus says, leave her alone. Except this time we have a man saying, Jesus, why is Mary doing this? Instead of Martha saying, Jesus, why is, why is Mary doing this? And Jesus has the same response. Jesus is like, you know what? Leave her alone. She's chosen right. Okay? Guys, something bigger is happening here. Jesus, Jesus is displaying something that we don't always expect to see because we've always been taught one thing. But because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are seeing a pattern of progress being developed in the first century, okay? Jesus arrives on the scene and immediately, as at a woman's house, 
making a woman his disciple and elevating the status of women in the first century in a patriarchal society where that does not happen. Jesus is developing a pattern of progress. Now, I want to take you somewhere else real quick and, and hear me as I go down this road. I am not making a doctrinal statement. I'm not talking to you about politics. I'm not talking to you about who should be allowed to stand here behind a microphone. That's not what I'm doing. We can do that another time, but that's not what I'm doing right now. Where I'm taking you, the road I'm taking you down is I want to open up scripture to you. I want to show you something that probably hasn't been preached up here or you probably haven't heard preach very much. And something that needs to be said, because it needed to be said then, it needed to be done then, because Jesus was doing it. It needs to be said now, because if you see what's going on out in the world now, you see women who are being treated differently these days. You see almost a regression in the past year or so of how women have been treated. Uh, And you see women who are ministers or evangelists always being cut down by men. And guys, that's just not okay. That's not the pattern Jesus established. That's not the pattern we need to continue now. So don't read into what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm trying to show you the scripture and show you the pattern that Jesus developed. And I've still never overcome my mouth getting dry while I'm speaking up here. So that's a different story for another day. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rapid fire through this list. And if you probably won't have time to write anything down. That's fine. If you do want the notes, I will give those to you offline. But hear me. This is scripture talking. It's not me. If you want to tell me later that I'm insane, that's fine. But no, I'm reading you scripture here. Okay? First, Mary Magdalene. There are other scriptures other than the one I just read to you where Mary is described as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's true. Didn't make that up. Okay? Luke chapter 8, verse 3. We are introduced to Herod's wife. You know Herod, the guy that wants to kill Jesus. Uh, She has a high-level position in the ministry of Jesus. She funds the ministry and rides with them. There's a whole message there, a whole situation that needs to be described. But we're not. We're doing bullet points right now. Romans 16.1, we are introduced to a woman named Phoebe. Phoebe is a deacon in the church. You don't know what a deacon is. Generally, in church structure, there's pastors and elders who run the place, and then there's a second level of leadership. Sometimes it's a feeder system for the elders. Sometimes it's just a group of guys that are leaders, right? And I say guys because even to this day, it's filled with guys. Usually, women aren't allowed in, which is the problem. But Phoebe is introduced as a deacon. Okay. Philippians four, two verses, verses two and three. Paul speaks of a woman, I'm sorry, Paul speaks of women that he does not name, so multiple women, who serve at his level in the ministry. If you don't know, Paul's an apostle. It's the highest level there is, okay? Now, next, Galatians 3, 26 to 29. We are told that women are fellow heirs to the kingdom of God. Now, there's a whole, I could, I could do a whole message by itself right here, but just to, just to break it down, very simple. I'm going to spend too long on this, I know, but so be it. That means that the kingdom of God, 
women are 100% equal with men, okay? One doesn't get any elevated status. We may be used to the normal way of life in this country as men having an elevated status. We may see that. You may not agree with that, but I see it myself. But in the kingdom of God, there is no difference between a man and a woman. They both have the same status, and nothing can take that from you. Nothing can change that. That is real life in the kingdom of God. Now, men, that doesn't mean your girl, or what that does mean is your girl is not someone who gets to ride with you in your sidecar because you're on this ride of, I'm going with Jesus, and we're in ministry, and we're doing stuff, and uh, I'm a teacher, and, and she's just here because she gets to be. No, she's there because she's a fellow heir to the kingdom. She gets to inherit the kingdom of God just like you do, okay? That's a big deal. Now, I don't want to make this about marriage, but I can't help but say this. I always think in the back of my mind, someone's going to be thinking, well, Mike, doesn't it say that women are supposed to submit to their husband? And you know what? The Bible does say women should submit to their husband, but it also says that men and women should submit to each other. And it also says in that same passage that men should love their wife like Jesus loved the church, up to and including laying your life down for her. So, we can read those passages and think they're offensive, but I look at it like a challenge, okay? It may seem offensive to hear that word submit, and it may seem like, oh crap, do I love this girl enough to lay my life down for her? That may seem a little messed up, but if you own those two statements as a charge to yourself and say, am I a husband that's worth submitting to? Maybe I should act like a husband that's worth submitting to. And a wife, if she would own her charge and say, am I a woman that's worth laying my life down for? Then maybe those verses wouldn't seem so offensive. Maybe we'd take those things to heart and we'd understand the point is not one person having more status than the other. It's about submitting to each other and loving each other. I have to move on. I don't have time to keep going down that road. Okay. Now, same time here. This is the partial list. I want you to know that. I'm trying to show you this pattern of progress that Jesus established in the New Testament. And I don't have time to get through everything. It's just how it is. There's a lot under the surface. We have men who wrote this New Testament. So not every woman gets the press time they deserve. Okay, but I'm going to show you some of it. And the list I have, I think, is, is a pretty decent list. But it does not tell you everything. So I encourage you to do more study on your own. Okay. Acts 21, verse 7 through 9. We're introduced to multiple women who are prophets. Prophets a high-level position in the church, folks. There's multiple women here that are prophets. We don't get their names, but they are real people. Acts 18, verses 24 to 26, we're introduced to Priscilla. Now, if that name sounds familiar, that's because we are told that we have Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team that are pastors of a church. Something very strange for a first century patriarchal society. They're always mentioned, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is the woman. She's always mentioned first. The only reason, the only way that happens is because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's because of the pattern of progress that he's developed. Now, we have a situation in Acts 18, verses 24 to 26, where we're introduced to Apollos, who's a preacher. And guess what? His preaching ain't quite right. Something's wrong with it. 
whether it's all, you know, it's theology's off a little bit somewhere in there. Priscilla and Aquila are assigned to fix that. So, let me just make that a little more plain speak. A woman is helping school a man on his preaching in the first century. Guys, that doesn't even happen today, okay? Like, that would be heresy in a church today if that happened, and that's not okay, all right? All right, now, to move on, just a couple more. John 20, verses 14 to 18. Mary is in the garden where the tomb is, and the tomb's empty. She's freaking out. She thinks the body's been stolen, right? She goes out, standing in the garden, and there's Jesus. She thinks Jesus is the gardener. And finally, Jesus says, Mary. And Mary's like, Jesus. And she figures it out, right? That moment, right, a powerful moment. She's the first person to know that Jesus is resurrected. And then Jesus says, go, tell the good news. Guys, the first post-resurrection evangelist was a woman. It was Mary. And that happened. And that's a big deal. And that should make you happy. If it doesn't, you're just not listening to me. That's a very, very big deal. Okay? And I know we haven't got that far in John yet. So I should have said spoiler alert first. So never mind. Okay. Last one. Then I'm going to stop. Romans 16, 7. We meet briefly this woman named Junia. Paul refers to her as a fellow apostle. Junia is a woman. Now, the reason why I ended with this one is because some translations of the Bible chose to show their translator's bias and not refer to her as an apostle and call her a helper or a fellow kinsman or something bizarre like that. This woman was an apostle. The word that they translated from Greek to English to show that she was an apostle was the same word that they use in other parts of the New Testament when they want to use the word apostle. It's funny how it happens. So that's that. I'm, I'm done with that list now. But what we see, this pattern of progress that Jesus has created in the New Testament, we see that has caused there to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in the New Testament that are women. Guys, this work that Jesus started has to be continued right now. And again, this is not a doctrinal statement. I'm just telling you what's going on in Scripture and why Jesus did it. Because in Jesus' eyes, in the kingdom, in his kingdom, we are all 100% equal. Okay, now, some of you might be thinking, Mike, that's cool, but, you know, you're, you might be on to something. But that's not enough. I mean, it took another 1,900 years just for women to be allowed to vote, okay? And you're right, that's a problem. But I'll answer that two ways. I'm glad you asked. Jesus is not in the business of just changing a person without them learning a lesson. He's not in the business of changing a whole society without them learning a lesson. 
if I'm being 100% honest, I'm still learning lessons that he tried to teach me 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and 10 years ago. My son's here somewhere, and he'll tell you that I am just now learning lessons about how I raised him and what I did wrong and where I went wrong. And the, the only good part about that is, is learning that lesson this late is I have perspective. I can see it. He can see it. There can be reconciliation there now, okay? If he would, God would have just changed me, I really never would have learned anything, okay? And as societies, we need to be able to learn as a church. This church needs to be able to learn. It needs to be able to learn from its mistakes. That's the only way we really grow is if we have that kind of learning that happens and growth. And I'll answer it a second way. Another thing we need to really realize is that this, that Jesus elevating women to disciples and apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers is an extremely big deal because if you go back several thousand years earlier, we have this primitive Hebrew society that can't seem to get things right to where God literally has to write on a stone tablet that you can't kill each other. Okay, that happened. That's a real thing. God had to step in and say, don't kill each other. Don't try to take your neighbor's wife away. Okay, he had to say, stop. There's a different way of doing things. There's a better way. There's an alternate way of behaving, and we can step into that life together. There's even a passage in the Old Testament where God had to step in and say, if you're at war and you kill a woman's family, and you want her to be your wife, guess what? You can't keep her if she doesn't want to be there. You can't keep her as a slave, and you can't sell her. That had to be said, okay? That is a pattern of progress. Then Jesus rolls into town, and suddenly he elevates women and says, they are disciples, they are apostles, they are prophets, they are evangelists, shepherds, teachers. It's there, okay? Now, why? Why then? Why now? Why do we need to hear this? Because before Jesus arrived on the scene, there was a system in place, and the system said, you're in, you're out, you're out. You have sores on your body, so you're out too. Jesus shows up and says, you know what? That is wrong, okay? You got this wrong. You, you can make all the laws you want to, but you're missing the point. This is for everybody, okay? Now, I don't know where everyone is here on their journey. And yes, it, it's okay to say the word journey, okay? You're going to be somewhere else and someone else is. It may seem to you like some people are ahead of you, but in the kingdom of God, we're all on a level playing field, okay? And you may not know Jesus Christ, but he is asking you and inviting you into a different way of living and a different way of thinking. And he wants you and he's been chasing you and he's waiting for you. Now, there is a caveat to that. Jesus does want the big R word, right? The, the scary, sounds awful, that big repent word, right? If there's something, if you don't know Jesus, or there's things going on in your life and you say, well, I can't take that next step into what he's inviting me into, and there's something you need to repent of, 
understand that repenting is not a punishment. It is not a browbeating. It is not begging for forgiveness. Jesus has done the work, and he is waiting for you to join him. He is waiting for you to come to him and say, I know, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done this and this and this, but I want to join you. I want to be part of what you're doing. He's waiting for that reconciliation. That's a personal thing that happens between you and him. And you may already know him. You may be already trying to go down that path, but you're holding things, you're keeping things to, to yourself and compartmentalizing, and you don't want him to have those things. I tell you, he's waiting, right? There's a celebration waiting in heaven for you to partner with Jesus, for you to repent and come to know him. That's all he's asking for. Now, I don't know if you know me well enough, you know I'm not interested in preaching for a long time. I think I've made my point. But I'll say one more time. Jesus has developed a pattern of progress, and we need to continue that as a church. The woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. I'm sorry, I'm going back there one more time. There's nothing in that passage after Jesus gets rid of everybody who's condemning her and tells her he's not going to condemn her either and then sends her on her way and says, sin no more. There's nothing in that passage that tells us that that woman did not go on to be an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a shepherd, evangelist, or disciple. Jesus is calling everyone on a level playing field to come be part of his plan. Now I'm going to pray in just a second, but Ben, if you want to come up, I'm going to stop talking, um, which I know you'll be right behind me, so that'd be weird. But I don't know where you are, like I said, on your journey. But Spencer and I care about where you are and what's going on with you. If you need prayer or if you want to talk or if you want to just come up and say, Mike, you're an idiot. That message was stupid. That's fine. I want to talk to you about that, too, and I want to pray with you. So right after this last song, we're going to finish and pray and be done. Uh, Spencer and I are available. If you want to talk, come see us. Pray with me real quick. God, I'm thankful today that you put this message on my heart. I pray that hearts are open to receive it. I pray that, that uh, people know what you are up to in the New Testament. I pray as people read your scripture here that they will know that there's always something going on at the surface and that you're always up to something bigger and that you love us so much that you were willing to change the world for us, not for yourself, but for us. That you took this ride of being a king in heaven, being around for creation, and watching us screw everything up. Then you became human and came to us to show us the right way. I pray that if there's anybody here, God, that doesn't know you or doesn't know this kind of love that you bring to the table, that today you cut their heart open and you get in there and you change that person and show them your love today. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.